Welcome to Inside the Equipment Room, the untold stories of a college baseball equipment manager. My name is John Mooney, and this is the inaugural episode of my first time doing a podcast, and I uh, hope you enjoy um, some of the stories I'll tell. I was the uh, equipment manager for the baseball team in Mississippi State from 1990 to 1992. I uh, can't believe that's been uh, 30 years since my first season as a manager. Uh, that was ca- uh, capped with a trip to the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. So the format's going to be, uh, in this first episode, I'm going to tell some of my favorite stories uh, over the time. I don't think I can get them all, get to all of them. I'm going to start with about 10 of my favorite in no particular order. And then after that, um, I'm going to uh, track down some uh, friends of mine that were managers around the same time. Um, and also look for managers from other schools. Uh, so if you know anybody that might be, that was an equipment manager, um, I'm going to start with baseball, and, and I've thought about if this is successful, I may expand it out to basketball and, and other uh, football and other sports that are out there for college. Um, I do have a Twitter handle. It's Old Equipment MGR. Uh, so give, give me a follow uh, there, and uh, um, I'll be tweeting out... Um, uh, different stories time and again, and let you know when the new podcast is uh, uploaded. Um, with that uh, being said, I'll also uh, talk about um, how to become a manager. Um, I think that's important. If you know somebody that's interested, whether they're in high school or about to go into college, it's a great way to pay for the education. Uh, a lot of schools will give you, uh, pay for your tuition, potentially uh, also help you pay expenses for living and meals. And then I think it also teaches some great life skills. Uh, it helped me find a job. Uh, one time I was interviewing for a job. Uh, th- this is when I was back living in New Orleans. Uh, and after the interview, uh, one of the guys told me he was sold uh, before the interview even started. He was a football equipment manager at LSU. And so once he saw um, that I had done uh, equipment manager work for three years uh, in college, uh, he knew what kind of work ethic I had. It took, it is a grind, um, but it, it's, a, it's a joy. And so I'll be telling some stories and, and share some secrets on how to become a manager and then more importantly, how it'll affect you um, after, you're, after you're finished uh, school. Uh, one of the starting thank our sponsors. We got uh, Chico's Bail Bonds, uh, Let Freedom Ring. Um, hopefully you don't need any uh, bail uh, bonds men out there, but if you ever do need one, uh, please give uh, Chico's a call. And then also uh, wanted to uh, welcome our, one of our other sponsors. It's uh, Bushwood uh, Country Club. Uh, tell them that Judge Smales sent you and you will they will waive the initiation fee. Uh, most of Bushwood, a lot of times, uh, requires an initiation fee, but if you tell them Judge Schmail sent you, uh, they will waive the uh, initiation fee. So now I want to dive into some of the... Um, I want to go through about the top 10 of my stories, uh, favorite stories of my time as an equipment manager in, in, in the format's going to be when, when I do have guests on, I'm going to ask them similar type, uh, questions on what their favorite memory is of, of different categories. So first of all, um, I want to start with some of my favorite, uh, coach Polk stories. Um, Ron Polk, uh, legendary coach, uh, 
coached at Mississippi State and Georgia Southern and Georgia, uh, currently a volunteer assistant at UAB. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to become a manager. Uh, it was in the fall of 1988. Uh, it was the famous uh, Tech and 10 season in Starkville. Uh, we went 1 and 10 in football that year. Uh, I was a student. Um, and I believe the, the lone win that year was against Louisiana Tech, so hence it's called uh, Tech and 10. Um, I had met John Cohen through a mutual friend who was one of the outfielders on the team, uh, currently the athletic director at Mississippi State. Um, and John had told me that there was going to be an opening in the fall of 89, and he thought I would be a good uh, possible candidate for the job. He knew I liked baseball, and, and so we, we discussed it, and this is back in the day before technology uh, broke out the typewriter and actually mailed Coach Polk a letter. It expressed my interest. Uh, I think I might even played up the fact that I went to Jesuit High School in New Orleans. And, of course, uh, Will Clark, uh, one of the most famous baseball players from Mississippi State, uh, Will graduated about five years ahead of me uh, at Jesuit in New Orleans. So I think I probably even threw that in the letter, if I remember correctly. Uh, Coach Polk called me the next day. I wasn't home. Uh, but uh, he talked to my roommate and then uh, passed it on and went into his office and chatted with him for a few minutes and, and the job was mine. Uh, so it, just being in the right place at the right time, uh, working out that and, and it's, it's the phone call and acceptance of that job, it, it changed my life forever. So I'm forever grateful to John and uh, Coach Polk as well, uh, giving me uh, the opportunities. Uh, another one, and I'm going to try, try to track down the accuracy of this story, but we had always heard, I wasn't there uh, in it, uh, Coach Polk uh, was arguing, I believe, some balls and strikes or a play or whatever, and, and he got tossed from the game, and the umpire told him, go, go stand where I can't see you, and Coach Polk went and stood on home plate. Uh, so I'm going to try to track down, uh, talk to some managers, and see if we can find out when that happened. I believe that might have been possibly in the early to mid-80s, but we had always heard, heard that story. Um, and so uh, that's one of my favorite Coach Polk stories. Uh, I, I told my wife that story the other day, and I kind of laughed. When you, when the umpire tells you, go stand where I can't see you, and then Coach Polk stands on home plate. Uh, another one would be uh, one of my favorite Coach Polk stories is uh, – he, uh, he treats the managers just as if they were a player. Uh, we had to show up uh, to meetings. Uh, we had to be there on time. Of course, before practice and games, we had to be there before the team did because we had to get everything set up. And one of the rules was is that um, when we were on the road, you had to wear long pants and a college shirt to the pregame meal. We always ate four hours before. And uh, this was during the 1990 season. And um, I forgot my pants. And so Joel Matthews, uh, who was on the team, ended up being my roommate a couple years later. Uh, he and I both forgot our pants. And uh, one of the requirements, when you whether you were late to practice or missed a violated team rule, you had to run a mile. It's, I believe, started at, I want to say, about 645. And each time somebody broke it, it went down a second. It was probably in the 635, 640 range at this point in the season. And the old, hum and it's still there, the Humphrey Coliseum, six laps around the concourse is a mile. And so Joel and I went there one afternoon. Coach Polk's there with a stopwatch, uh, more than likely probably smoking a cigar. And he times us, I think about half the team showed up. They each took laps with me. Joel made it. 
I missed it. And he literally just turned to me and said, see you tomorrow and walked off. I mean, I was devastated. I think I missed it by a little handful of seconds. And so it took me a few more times, uh, but I eventually made it. And, uh, but yeah, running a mile, uh, one of, uh, I don't think ever after that, I did, I ever forget my pants or miss be late for anything or whatever. Cause I knew he, is that he treated, uh, the managers as if they were, uh, their players. Another memory I have is, uh, coach Polk did yell at me one time in the dugout to be quiet. Uh, I think we were at Florida and Bobby Reed was pitching. Uh, this was during the 90 season, and I think I made a comment about, I don't care remember if he's trying to get us out of the end and roll up a double play or something like that, and Coach Polk yelled at me to be quiet. And I think it was Steve Polk and Russ McNichol, our GA that year, were sitting next to me, and I think they about fell off the the dugout bench, and, and I wanted to crawl up in a hole and go hide. And, and Bobby got out of the end, and they all came running off the field, and they, the infielders couldn't figure out what had happened. And later on, we told them why. And so I always think back to one of those times Coach Polk just yelling at me to be quiet. Uh, I don't think I said anything the rest of the, rest of the night. Um, so, yeah, so we'll start. Uh, one of the things I'll ask the fellow, my fellow state managers is, what's your favorite uh, Coach Polk story? Or if I get, I'm hoping to get some LSU managers on, it's a good Skip Bertman story. Uh, those are always legendary. My favorite Skip Bertman story is uh, we were at the SEC tournament in 1990, and um, the we had a rain delay. Um, that was the seventh time we were playing LSU that year, and uh, there, and so we knew a lot of their players on the team. I knew the managers as well. A lot of our guys played summer ball together, and so we're chatting during the rain delay. Uh, we were at Hoover. Uh, at the Met, and um, so we, a lot of us ended up started just hanging out, and we're talking or whatever, and Skip Bergman's telling a story the way he does, and and the the legendary uh, Steve Polk, our catcher, uh, his thing was he'd give somebody a hot foot when they weren't paying attention, um, uh, light a book of matches, and, and it would light up on the, stick it with some gum on the back of, stick the matches on the back of the shoe, light it up, and well, Steve gave uh, Skip Bergman a hot foot, and Coach Polk was sitting in the other dugout, and all he could do was just laugh. So that's that's probably one of my favorite uh, Skip Bergman stories. Uh, so hopefully we'll get some um, LSU guys on uh, to tell one of their favorite uh, Skip Bergman stories. Another topic that we'll talk about is the craziest place that uh, managers ever wash uniforms, and one of the jobs uh, with a manager is to wash the uniforms, uh, whether it's home or on the road. And uh, you get a it, long after the guys are gone and everybody's cleared out or whatever. It, it can get be some lonely hours late night uh, in the in the locker room. And we were at the SEC tournament in 1992, and that year was played in the Superdome. And so I was born and raised in New Orleans, so I kind of looked around town, different places. We were staying at a hotel. Uh, right on the edge of the French Quarter, pretty much walking distance to the Superdome. And so I found a laundromat in the French Quarter. So I roll up in there with a couple of duffel bags full, a couple rolls of quarters, uh, found uh, some laundry detergent, and I roll up in there. And, and I got a few looks because it's probably not a sight you see. I was on Royal Street, a block off Bourbon, right in the heart of the French Quarter. And uh, it was late at night, and people are looking around, like, going, what's this clown doing? So... Um, that's probably the craziest place I've ever washed it, but 
I, th- I want to say we had to turn around and play the early game the next morning in the dome. Um, so you, you just got to do what you got to do, find a place to wash it. Uh, wash a uniform on the road. So I'm going to ask the other managers when I start having guests on is what's their craziest place uh, that they've ever uh, washed uniforms. Um, another one I want to talk about is the furthest ball uh, that that you've ever seen hit. I'm going to ask the managers that. Um, a lot of I heard stories when I got there um, in the fall of 89, uh, particularly Frank Thomas, uh, Bo Jackson down at Auburn, they hit some memorable uh, home runs distance. Of course, you'd, you'd have Will Clark, Rafael Palmaro uh, from the early to mid-80s. Some of their home runs were just monstrous. But I think the furthest I've ever saw is uh, Lyle Mouton from LSU uh, in 1990. Uh, we opened, as I mentioned, we ended up playing LSU seven times that season. I guess technically six because that seventh game was rained out that I mentioned earlier in uh, Lyle Mouton hit one off Tim Henderson. And those of you that are familiar with the Superdome, the third level up is called the terrace level. And Lyle Mouton hit one up there. And it was just, it was my first game. And I was like, holy smokes, that ball is absolutely crushed. And years later, or not too many years after that, I was living in New Orleans and uh, hanging out with our uh, third baseman Chuck Daniel, he ended up going to law school in New Orleans, and he and I would go to Saints games, and I think half-jokingly we would point up to the terrace level and say, hey, I think that guy up there drinking a beer watching the Saints uh, might have just found Mouton's uh, ball hit off uh, Tim Henderson. Um, so that uh, is what I'll um, – is one that I'll always remember. And so I want to ask some of the other guys um, what they've seen. The other thing, too, would be is what would be um, the most dominating uh, pitcher performance. And for me, I think it'll be hard-pressed for anybody to top uh, what I got to watch in the 92 regional opening game against Nichols. Uh, B.J. Wallace, who ended up being the third pick of the draft that year for the Montreal Expos, struck out 19 in 10 innings against Nichols. Uh, we won one nothing. Uh, now looking back uh, 28 years later, I feel horrible for the – Nichols, uh, pitcher, as he uh, held us to one run over 10 innings. But when you think back, uh, B.J. struck out 19, absolutely dominated that year. Ended up that uh, summer going to pitch on the Olympic team over in Barcelona uh, in the Olympics. And that was just unbelievable dominating pitching performances I've ever seen. Um, I'm sure. The, there's probably been some others out there, so I'd like to get some guys' thoughts on what they've seen. Just sing one night when somebody's in the groove, just dominated and shut down another team. Or it might be uh, home runs. Uh, somebody um, ends up getting five or six hits in one game or hits three home runs or something something along those lines. So just one of the most dominating uh, pitching performances. Uh, uh, talk about that. Also, memorable moments. Um, I would think one of my most memorable moments was uh, before the game in the 90 Regional. Uh, We ended up playing Florida State three times, beat them the first uh, Burke Masters uh, Grand Slam that goes down in Mississippi State lore. is probably one of the greatest home runs, if not the greatest home run. Um, But what I think most people forget is that game did not send us to Omaha. Uh, We had to come back. Uh, Florida State had to beat us twice. It rained on the Sunday. 
Uh, Florida State beat us the first game, got pushed to Monday. Is when the regionals used to wrap up on Memorial Day weekend. So on the Monday, it was winner take all. And I think before the game, uh, I was talking to John Cohen and some others, and, and they had told me about it in 87, Roger Smith, the manager, had said, oh, if y'all guys win the SEC tournament, you can shave my head. So Roger's got his head shaved in 87. So I was like, sure, I'll go along with it. And, of course, we won the game. And so after the game, Rogers and I were out in left field lounge after the game. And not really sure, but somebody actually had a razor. I don't know if they ran home and got it or who knows what's out in the lounge. But we got our head shaved after the game. And I didn't tell my family about it until they saw me on TV uh, the first game against Georgia uh, in the dugout. And they go, oh, yeah, I think I went back to the hotel. My parents called me and said, uh, you didn't tell us you got your head shaved. So, yeah, so that was one of the most memorable games, I would have to say, is clinching it and just the whole experience uh, the week we spent up in Omaha. Didn't turn out the way uh, we wanted. Sometimes baseball works that way. Georgia that year uh, with Dave Fleming and Mike Reban were uh, just dominant that year in Omaha and ended up winning the, uh, winning the national championship that year. We had Stanford in our bracket. Um, this, I think, was one of the first and second years where they broke it down into two brackets and ended up going one and two that year. Um, but, yeah, definitely the 1990 uh, season was very memorable. So hopefully we'll dive in a little bit more to that. Maybe I'll have to try to track down Rodgers and get him on and get him to tell some stories from um, his time as a manager. Another great moment, I'd have to say, is uh, – in addition to getting my head shaved, was a, I'd be convinced is to slide on the tarp. Uh, so during rain delays, uh, I think it started during the 90 season, but we were at Georgia uh, in 91, and it was a rain delay, and I had to go ask Coach Weber and Coach Polk. I didn't want to intrude on somebody else's uh, field along those lines. So I slide on the tarp. The game was supposed to be on TV. It might have been those old uh, Sports Channel or Sports South or whatever they were called back then and so we had a couple of our players that were from uh, Jacksonville and their parents were sitting in a sports bar watching the game and there's me on TV to get because the game ended up getting rained out uh, but I got on TV for sliding on the tarp uh, did a couple other times so those were always fun uh, the crowd start chanting uh, you slide out there it is it's fun um, one of those things that I really enjoyed don't know if I could pull it off today 30 years later um, but I'd also uh, really enjoyed uh, some of those times back then. Um, kind of a funny moment. Um, so I'll ask the guys, hey, give me a good funny story or whatever. It might not have been funny at the time, but we were up at the University of Maine in 91 for the regional. And uh, there's a lot of different stories we could talk about uh, from that Maine trip. Uh, Stephen King coming to our games, uh, seeing them in a Boston Red Sox hat on, big old Coke uh, bottle glasses, it seemed like, and just hanging out by our dugout. We were all mesmerized that Stephen King was there. Um, but one thing I'll always remember, I think this was the uh, elimination game. We were playing Maine, if I remember, and uh, Corbin Davis was warming up in the bullpen. I can't remember who was pitching. And Corbin was a uh, fifth-year senior, but it was interesting is that Corbin wasn't on the team the first three years. He tried out uh, my first year, fall of 89, made it, pitched a little bit. And, I mean, that was kind of unheard of, that just a regular student just hanging out. And 
uh, decides to come out for the team and ends up making it. So he was on the team in 90, pitched a little bit. And so his last year, uh, he pitched a little bit more into the 91 season. He was warming up. And one of the things is Coach Polk, he walked to the mound. The pitcher was, was out. Uh, or the pitching coach would go out there at the time as Joe Hudak. And Coach Hudak would, would talk to a pitcher and calm him down or talk about strategy or whatever. But if Coach Polk went to the mound, you knew – you were out, and that's just kind of the way it worked. Well, Coach Polk starts walking in the mound. I'm actually standing next to Coach Hudak in the dugout. Corbin starts jogging in from the bullpen, thinking he's in. He's got a big old smile on his fa face. Here's his big chance. And I saw Corbin a few years ago, one of our alumni weekends, and we got a good laugh about it, I think, now. But looking back, I don't, I don't, I don't think many of us were laughing. And actually, Coach Polk was going to bring in Chuck Daniel, our third baseman, in the pitch uh, from third and shuffle around the infield mm -hmm. uh, instead of having uh, uh, Corbin come in to pitch. And so Coach Hudak just jumping up and down to send Corbin back to the bullpen or whatever. And I think at that point, Corbin probably wanted to crawl up under a rock, similar to me when I was at Florida getting yelled at by Coach Polk. Be quiet. Uh, yeah, Corbin didn't, and I don't think he got in the game. And I think that, if I remember correctly, we got eliminated after that. But looking back on it, I think it's now pretty. It, it's you get a good laugh about it, and when we get together at alumni weekends and and tell some stories, that's one that it's it's uh, pretty funny uh, to look back uh, at the time. Another uh, funny story wasn't funny at the time. Uh, we were down at Florida during the 90s season. And I think we played uh, Friday afternoon on ESPN. And so we bust down there on Thursday and we did a night practice and we're out there taking batting practice. And so um, I had a chance to, you got to shag the foul balls or the home run. So I'm hanging out in the outfield and I had a glove on. So I thought I'd be just, I really thought I was a college athlete at this point. So I'm jogging to catch fly balls or whatever. And somebody hits one that's looks like it's about to go out. And I'm like, all right, I'll give it a good effort. So I start jogging and pick up a little speed and I trip on something and pretty much face plant, eat the warning track. And I think about batting practice stopped. Everybody's on the floor rolling. I think somebody was yelling sniper on top of the O'Connell Center next door. It took me out and I, I think my pride was hurt at that point, but yeah, it was, it's pretty funny to think about it now. And I was like, yeah, after that, I don't think I'll be trying to track down any fly balls in, in, um, batting practice. And, uh, speaking of foul balls, uh, that's one thing now looking back, one, my job the first year was to, uh, get the foul balls back. We tried to recycle the balls at the time. We didn't let the fans keep them. I don't think any of the managers, we weren't, fans of that uh, because of we would get booed relentlessly and I'll never forget I think we might have been playing LSU at that time and uh, in Starkville during the 90s season and I go foul ball up in the grandstand or whatever duty noble and this little kid gets the ball and of course I got to go take it away from him and I mean I feel horrible at that point and the crowd starts booing me and everything along those lines um, but yeah, that's, I don't think they, maybe a few years after I left, they might've gotten a sponsor to let the fans keep the balls. And so now you watch a game and you see them players tossing a ball up in the crowd or a foul ball goes and goes, man, I'll, I'll be watching a game and I'll go, uh, I wish I had to, uh, didn't have to take the foul balls away from the kids.
So, yeah, so that uh, pretty much does it for uh, the, my Nargle episode. I uh, just wanted to, I got plenty more stories. Uh, we can dive into uh, some of the, for the three years I was, that I was there, there, there's plenty and plenty more stories and um, just humbled. Um, I was on, the reason why this started was I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Charlie Winfield and Bart Gregory at Mississippi State called Out of Left Field. And I was humbled by the feedback that I, that I got and how, much, how well I did with the interview with them. And so that's kind of where this idea spurred from. And so I'm grateful to them for giving me the opportunity. And, and I'm just humbled that uh, people, uh, when I reached out to say, Hey, do you think this would be a good idea? And, and everybody I talked to said it would be, and they'd be, uh, they would want to listen to some of the stories. So I think moving forward, um, again, um, I'll try to track down some other managers. So if you know of any, um, send them my way again, my Twitter handle is old equipment MGR. Uh, if you know any managers out there that'd be interested uh, to come on, uh, I would glad to have them and, and we can compare some stories and I think it'd be great to just get all different eras, get some, uh, get some managers on from the early to mid eighties before kind of SEC baseball and college baseball took off to what it is today, or, uh, try to get some managers from last couple of years or now, um, I went and toured the new duty noble, uh, last fall, my wife and kids and I went back for the egg bowl and got a tour of the stadium and it was unbelievable. I think I had one washer and one dryer. I mean, it was unbelievable what the facility is and the equipment now is these days to compare. So it'd be good to get some guys uh, perspective that are today and then also uh, get some guys perspective from uh, some of those old timers back from the eighties and nineties as well. So in, in all eras in between, because it's one thing is I think we've all got uh, stories from from road trips and uh, whether it's our favorite coach, uh, somebody like a coach Polk or and um, different coaches that are out there in college baseball. So again, wanted to thank everybody and uh, I appreciate your time. 